Starting in verse 1, we're going to read down to verse 15 and pick up on three verses. As I, uh, uh, I'm just going to repeat this beginning. I'll repeat as long as I have to till you get it. That there is, there is a formula for victory. Okay, uh, The formula for victory is, starts and ends with Jesus Christ and with you yielding to Him. All right, You can know all about Him in your head. And really, you can even believe in your heart and get saved, but you'll struggle with sin and you'll struggle with life until you yield to Him. And that's what we're learning in this point. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 15 together. I'll show you. We'll stop at verse 6, verse 11, and verse 13 and circle some words. Starting in verse 1, I'll read, you follow. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Just stop there for a second and just savor that for a moment. I've got a new life. I can live a new life just as he was resurrected, never to die again. I've been resurrected spiritually. My spirit is alive and I walk in a new life forever. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, by faith, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here's our first key. Verse 6, first part of the formula is circle the word knowing. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, here's our second word, circle the word reckon. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Speaking to Christians, neither, here's our third word, verse 13, neither yield ye your members, your hands, your feet, your nose, your eyes, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin anymore, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. All right, if there's any space, I've got, uh, or you might get some extra chairs from next door if you need it there. What we're looking at is three simple words in this chapter so far. We've seen the word know, we've seen the word reckon, and we've seen yield. Now, when you add those three up, you get victory over sin. Now, knowing is an act of the mind. When, when, you, um, uh, when you know something, it's your mind active. And when you come to church, your brain ought to be active. Make sure you're thinking, pondering, questioning, learning what the Bible says. 
because for the last 167 hours of this week, you've been influenced by media and your apps on your phone and your friends, and you don't know what's right until you open the Bible, and you better know what God says. So know these things. You need to know that the old man is dead. He's crucified, dead, and buried with Christ. You got to know that. Then there's an act of the heart, and that's reckoning. That's believing with all your heart. If the Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you can read it and know it to be true, but it's not true till you believe it with all your heart. You reckon it to be true. Now, us down south, we use that term all the time. Well, I reckon it's going to rain. What we mean is, I believe it's going to rain. Looks cloudy, it's cold, the wind's picking up. You kind of add up all of the evidence and you make a conclusion. And in your heart of hearts, you make the conclusion that it was for me he died. Do you just see how that works? I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know that he died. I believe he died for me. That's reckoning. But then there's an act of the body, and that's yielding. That's when you yield your life to the right way of living, free from sin's control. You walk out of prison. You understand? The prison you used to live in, the prison of your mind, the prison of your religion, the prison of your of your sin and its dominance over your life, you yield to the call that says, come out, be separate, follow me, amen? That's the Christian life. It's that third thing that I'm seeing over and over here. The last half of Romans chapter 6 is focusing on yielding. See, you'll never be free from sin's presence. You'll always have sin knocking on the door. You'll always have sin available on your phone. You'll always have sin in your friends or at work or whatever tempting you. That doesn't go away till you reach heaven, amen. But you can be free from its penalty. You know, sin is a penalty, you know that. You know, uh, speeding usually gets you a ticket. And when you smoke or your, your mouth is filthy or your, your eyes are, are full of adultery, that comes back on you, doesn't it? There is a consequence for all that stuff. And you can be free from its penalty by being born again. Amen. But you need to be free from its power over you. Christians should not be living uh, addicted to anything except Jesus Christ. You ought to be addicted to the Bible. You ought to be addicted to church. You ought to be addicted to soul winning. But most people are addicted to cigarettes. But did you know the moment you got saved... That temptation and that sin has no more control over you. Now you say, but why does it hurt to quit? Because <laughs> your body doesn't want to quit, but the real you does. And the real you can walk away and you don't care what your, bio, your body has to go through to be free because you don't mind being free. How about anger and bitterness? See, we'll look at somebody else who's got a problem with, with cigarettes and with smoking, maybe they're smoking hash or whatever they're doing, and we look down on them and go, look at those sinners, and yet you're walking around a bitter man or a bitter woman, you're just as sinful as they are. Yes. And you need to be free from that. And you are free is the truth. You just like your bitterness just as much as that other person likes their cigarettes. How about pornography? There is no reason why any Christian should be addicted to pornography. None. Christians, however, I tell you what, when they do the statistics and they start asking young men especially, but it's coming up with the women too. They're getting addicted to it. When they start checking off and finding out how many 
15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids have constant flow of pornography coming into their phone and they're addicted to it. The number of Christians that are addicted to it almost amounts to the same number as unsaved. Does that bother you? Because we're not saved to be addicted to that. How about laziness? You know laziness is a sin. Amen. How about lying? Somebody says, well, it's just a white lie. It's a lie. And you ought not to ever lie, not unless you're protecting the life of somebody who's about to die. When, 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 when we think of these things, we don't put sin with a label on it and go, that's me. And there's, if you have a habit of lying, you need to be free of it. And Jesus Christ made you free. Apathy. Uh, I mean, I think one of the worst sins of Christianity is we just don't care. We don't care if we miss church. We don't care if we read our Bible. We don't care if our neighbors are going to hell. We don't care. That's a sin. And we're not to be under the dominance. Sin shall not have her dominion over you. Fornication, lust, thievery, drugs, your past, gender dysphoria, this new thing of everybody trying to figure out what they are, who they are, where they came from, all that stuff. Folks, that's the dominion of a cruel master. Every, every, every... A uh, person I've met who smoked for more than 20 years looks 10 years older than they really are, don't they? they? They're serving a cruel master. None of that should be controlling our life, our emotions, and our decisions now. But you know the truth? 99% of the people who are addicted to those things don't mind being addicted to them. They like the pleasures of sin. And here's the truth. Christians don't mind being miserable. There are people who come into this church, sit down. You don't even know them. They're sitting right next to you right now. And they're miserable, but they don't mind it. Now, I'm not talking about miserable because of life. They're miserable because of sin. And they've let, they've let sin control their life that has no business controlling them. So Paul wrote an entire chapter here to remind us, mm -mm, you are not under sin anymore you are free so let's pray one more time and get into the study father help us as we go through these verses open our eyes let our minds process this and understand this then open our hearts help us to believe it and then give us the courage to yield to it and go okay god you win i'll, I'll do things differently if you call me out i'll come out if you tell me to go somewhere i'll go if you tell me to say something, you tell me not to say something, I will yield to you. Lord, if, you, if you're working on somebody's heart and they have just fought you and fought you and never surrendered and said, I'll get saved today, I pray that they decide, I'll get saved today. I'll surrender. Because Jesus, you're the only worthy, worthy master of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into this thing. Verse 16, we're going to pick up where we left off. Verse 16, he reminds us, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now all of us, here's the truth, all of us serve, that's that word serve, which means to obey or seek to please a higher power. AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, talk about the higher power. Well, everyone is serving a higher power, whether you like it or not. The question is, which one is the right one to obey? We all have somebody influencing us, guiding us, uh, uh, causing us to make decisions. We have a higher power over our life. Which one should I obey? 
Verse 16 tells us, it says we need to yield to the right one. Read there again. It says, know ye not to, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey. You have made them your master. Whether of sin unto death, that's one option, one choice. Well, here's the right choice. Or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, I know in this modern day, we're obsessed with rights. Everyone in the West world is obsessed with their rights, especially their right to be offended. <laughs> uh, and yet this generation is losing more rights per day than ever before in history. We're at the age, we're in the age what the Bible calls in the book of Revelation, the church of the Laodiceans. And the church of the Laodiceans, you ever wonder, uh, anybody who's ever studied Greek, and I study it, but I never make a big deal out of it at all, but that word Laodicea is two words. It means the church of people's rights. Isn't that a funny thing? That's the last church before the rapture. That's the last kind of people that are claiming to be God's people, and all they're worried about is their rights. And we're, we're, we're not reflecting the glory of God. We're reflecting the world around us. And everybody's worried about their rights, and so are Christians. Rights? Did you know rights are God-given? And they're good things to have. But having rights don't make a person a happy person and doesn't make you free. Uh, yielding to God makes you free. You know, when a person gets married, you know what you do? You give up your rights. You can't just go where you want anymore. Mama won't let you, amen? And when I'm saying mama, I mean your wife. <laughs> you know, ladies, you can't just do what you want, spend money you like, whatever you like, go hang out. No, 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 you gave up some rights when you got married, didn't you? And when you had a baby, you gave up some rights, didn't you, amen? Yeah. Man, for the next 18 years, you can't get your eyes off of them. <laughs> you lose your rights and you yield them gladly. But when we get saved, we go, now God, Draw a line right here. You're there and I'm here. And when I need you, I'll call you. That's not God. No. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is I lose and yet I gain. Yielding my rights to God makes me free. Only when we're yielded to his words, only when we yield to his will for our lives, we actually trust in God. Uh, you know, uh, there's sometimes my wife's got, uh, got the map and I'm driving along and I hate maps, right? I'm a man, right? Come on, say amen, man. And she says, you need to get off the, the road here. And I go, no, I think it's down, the, down a little bit further. She says, get off here. And I go, no, I'm not going to. But I yield, amen? Because she's usually right. Come on, ladies, amen. <laughs> We're obsessed with rights. No, I'm right. I don't listen to maps or whatever. Okay, and, and the, the, the point is, that we've got to learn when to yield. Because when you yield, you're trusting someone else besides yourself. You gotta make sure you better, that, that one that you're trusting is right, that's the point. So we're talking about yielding to God. Let's see if I can bring this up. Paul talks about yielding to proper authorities and you better, listen, if you're driving down the road and blue lights begin to flanker, what do you do? You yield and you pull over, try and run them. Try and outrun the blue lights, okay? You better yield, and it's right to yield to authority, and especially to God, in order to live free. You want to live in chaos? Live like the third world? Then fight all the authorities. Argue and fight your parents? Uh, at, at nine years old, leave home and get a job? If that's how you want to live, go right ahead. 
but a, but a sane, safe society has people who obey authorities. Amen? Uh, if you, if you want to live, uh, you want uh, your kids to live in detention centers, then just keep encouraging them to live in, in fighting mood to everybody. Constantly encourage them, your parent did that, I'm going to go give them what for. You better be careful how you take on that child's authority because the next fight will be with you. It's going to get real quiet in here, I know. <clears throat> Yielding to God. You want to continue to live addicted to porn and depression, to drink and to laziness, then just keep fighting God. Yet the, the gospel says and promises you can enjoy freedom if you would yield what you used to sin with to sin, and you start yielding it to God. So in reality, there are so many things that we've got reversed today. Uh... Parents obey their children. I get tired of watching that thing where you've got parents who just, Johnny's upset. Let him be upset. Oh, my kids, I just can't leave. Teach them to obey. Teach them, you're going to be in the other room. They need to keep themselves occupied. But they control the homes, don't they? They control the schools. And when they become teenagers, they take over. Parents obeying their children, children obeying their friends instead of their parents. Husbands living in fear of upsetting their wives and are unable to obey God. Boy, I got quiet. <clears throat> I'll ask, is that how you want to live your life? So the question in verse 16 is, who are you obeying? Let's read it again. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So let's take this thought. See, Christianity is not just about what you believe. There are all kinds of differences of belief. I understand that. But Christianity is about who you're yielding your life to. You actually are a servant to whatever you're obeying. If you're obeying sin, if you're obeying its temptation, its pull, and its pleasure, then you are serving sin. If just, I mean, if one in the morning, your phone uh, dings because somebody's texting you you're a servant of that phone if you're answering that thing if you don't have it on silent if uh, it's Friday night and you're you decide to always walk past the pub because you know you're gonna go in it you're a servant to your drink amen whoever you're serving that is your master and you don't mind it yet if you're obeying righteousness and it's pull and by the way it's pleasure you know it's a whole lot more fun to do the right thing you may think it's boring, but you actually, rem you actually remember what you did. <laughs> if you are obeying righteousness and its pull and its pleasure, you're serving God. So you've got to ask yourself four questions. Number one, who owns you? Who actually purchased you? Picture in your mind for a second the worst kind of a market, not the English market. Imagine for the moment the worst kind of market is called a slave market full of men and women whose lives are owned by cruel masters who only used and abused those lives for their benefit. Do you know that's where we came from? We came from a slave market. It's called life. It's called this world. And we lived in that market, bought and sold by every cruel slave master that was existence in this world. 
Now picture someone else coming to the market and spotting you. Watching you on that auction block being auctioned because of the debts you've raised because, and, and being shown off for what little you can actually accomplish. And that other person looking at you and wanting you. And that's Jesus going over to your cruel owner and paying off all your debts personally and buying you outright. And he didn't buy you to be just another slave. He bought you to be in his family. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he came out, he came out of nowhere when there was nothing but cruel owners of this world buying and selling our lives, the souls of men, for their own purpose. You ever wonder where did, where did some of these super ultra wealthy people get all their money? Off of us. You know how they design your social media on your phone? To addict you. They are not interested in your benefit and in your welfare. They're interested in making money off of you. Amen? And so every time you're giving them your, your attention, all this stuff, it's another master buying you. And isn't it wonderful when somebody shows up at the market and says, I want you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, and I'll pay for them in full. And the devil says, it's going to cost you everything. This one's not worth much, but I'm going to make you pay, Jesus. And Jesus says, what will it cost? And Satan says, your life. And Jesus says, finished. Amen. I just want that one in my home, in my family. First Corinthians, hold your place here. Go to the right. First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 19. First Corinthians 6, 19 says this. What? Sounds like my mother. <laughs> what? <laughs> is how she would start a conversation. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your I'm not even my own anymore. For you're bought with a price. What a price. Therefore, glorify God. Ah, with what? In your body. Not, not, just, not just in your spirit. I had one guy, I was door knocking, I was talking to him, and I, I, I asked him, I says, about your soul, where would you go when you die? Oh, that's none of your business. I said, well... It's God's business, and he sent me here to ask you. <laughs> so where would you think you'd go? Oh, I think I'd go to heaven. I said, great, great, why? He says, because, because I believe in God. I says, well, the devils believe. Probably believe better than you. I don't think that's going to be good enough. He says, well, it's, 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 it's in here. <laughs> I said, what's in there? I don't know, but it's in there. <laughs> I go, hmm, well, uh, let, me, let me ask you this, okay? Uh, uh, do you go to church? No, no, I don't go to church. Don't believe in that. <laughs> he says, you have a Bible? Uh, no, I got rid of it. I don't believe the Bible. I says, then it's not in there. <laughs> because you're owned. If you're saved, you're not your own in, anymore. Glorify God with that body you're in right now. You know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? You know, Leo, what we're going to do when we, get, when we get to heaven? We're going to praise God. We're going to thank God like you were just singing. We're going to smile like some of you haven't done in a week. We're going to just go out of our mind with joy and gratefulness of being saved and being in the family of God and being washed from our sins and being welcome in the beloved. And we're just going to woo, have a great time for eternity. 
Well, why don't I do that now? Why do I let my body give in to sin on the phone? Why do I let this flesh do sinful things and end up saying sinful things, my eyes looking at sinful things, my mind thinking sinful things? Why do I let all that in my life when I'm looking forward to being free from it? Why don't I live like I'm free now? Amen? So the question is, who owns me? Let's keep going on. I didn't finish the verse there. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to who? Which are God's. All right. So second question to ask yourself is who's worthy of my life? Who would you give your life for? Say, maybe I give my life for my little sister. Maybe I give my life for, for somebody important. I mean, that, that happens every once in a while. Maybe you give your life for somebody in your family. Maybe, you know, you'd be willing to give your life for them because you love them that much. Amen. Amen. But who's worthy of your life? And when, when I ask that, I'm asking, who are you worthy of yielding to? That's funny. Uh, most people, when they get married, they think love is all that matters. Well, you're listening to John Lennon. Love is not all that matters. Yielding is what matters. Because when you get into a relationship with somebody else, you're in love with them, and that's important. <laughs> Don't misunderstand. But your love only takes you so far. Sometimes you're going to have to choose to just yield. And you just let, go ahead, amen. Now, men, don't make that always you yielding. But there comes a time where you do yield because you love. And ladies, you need to yield because you love, not because he's right. Oh, did it go quiet in here? Amen. You yield because you love, not because he's right. Amen. Yeah, but that means I lose control. Yes. That means I can't nag him. Right. Oh, it's quiet in here. Who is worthy of your life for you to go, you win, you lead, you tell me what to do. Who's worthy of that? It ought to be Jesus Christ. You know, professional soccer players, you know what they do? <laughs> Based on the highest bidder, they yield, don't they? You own me for 43 million euros. <laughs> and that person, they call them owners, don't they? Isn't that funny how they still use that terminology? These guys are moved from club to club. Hmm. Third question. What does a life of service to sin result in? Oh, it starts off easy. <laughs> sin always starts off fun. Pleasures of sin last for a season, folks. But it always leads to three things. Uncleanness, sorrow, and death. Sin always leads to feeling dirty. If you don't feel regretful after you've done something you know is wrong, then something's wrong with you. Your conscience is burned out. But sin always leads to, the Bible word is uncleanness, which means you feel dirty, you feel filthy. It leads to sorrow. I had a couple of things. You ever wonder why some people are, are angry and bitter? It's because they've never gotten right with some sin in the past. Maybe somebody did something to them or they did something to somebody else and they never got it right. So what does a life of service to sin result in? Ultimately, death. But what does a life of service to righteousness result in? Look in verse 16 there in Romans 6. Let me read it again. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto, what does it, eat, lend, what does it end in? Death. death, or of obedience unto righteousness. You know, when you do the right thing, it'll usually be hard. Would you agree? 
Was it hard for Jonah to obey God and go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent? But it was the right thing to do, right? Tell me, which one was easier in the end? Doing what God asked you to do or the whale? <laughs> Listen, folks, uh, when you do the right thing, it will lead to sanctification. It'll lead, when you do the right thing, because you not only know it, but you believe it is, it is the right thing to do, and then you yield to it, you are sanctified at that moment. You are clean. Amen. That is a life of victory. When you're living it, it leads to sanctification, joy, love, and eternal life. Guaranteed, man. That's a life of service to the right thing. Choose to yield. Choose to yield. Now, I'm going to say, that's not easy. I know it's not easy. The battle's real. There is still a battle in you and me when we're tempted. Go to, Rome, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll come back here to Romans in a second, but i got a couple of scriptures to give you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. I'll, I'll, I'll remind you, we are not free from sin's temptation. If I asked you, raise your hand if you get tempted by sin. Every one of you should raise your hand if you're being truthful. Amen. Every one of you say, I thought we were saved. We are saved. But we're not free from temptation. You and I still feel the pull of lust and the temptation of sin. Because look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation, look at those next two words, taken you. I mean, you don't even have to go looking for it. And it grabs you. It says, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Hallelujah. We have somebody else on our side helping us who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. Don't you tell me, well, I couldn't help it. Yes, you could, or else God's a liar. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with that temptation. He'll always step into that situation and give you the tool, open a door and says, now get out this way. Also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear that temptation. I am free from sin's grip, its control, and its hold on me. I'm not free from its pull or its, its, its pleasure or it's temptation, but I am free to walk away. Now, uh, uh, I have found that we fight the wrong wars. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. See, if you find Hebrews to the right, go to the next book is James. See, a lot of people think Christian life, if I'm saved, I shouldn't have any struggle at all. Let me tell you, there is a struggle. I <laughs> If you're married and you've never had an argument, then you're not married, amen? That doesn't mean it has to come out to blows, but there comes times where there's disagreement and somebody's got to decide to yield, amen? And in your life as a Christian, there's a choice all the time of who's going to yield. And I, believe me, God doesn't yield. <laughs> You'll get that one day. James chapter 4, verse 1. James 4, 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? He's talking to Christians. Come they not hence from here, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye Christians lust and yet have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not. Why? 
because you ask not. You're not praying. You know, the greatest tool you have to get what you need is not nagging, fighting, arguing, yelling. It's prayer. And just asking. Amen. Yeah, not because you ask not. And when you do ask, verse 3, you ask and receive not because you only ask amiss, you ask for the wrong reason, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You're like a monkey in a room full of biscuits. I mean, all you want is to eat them all. Verse 4, ye adulterers, speaking to Christians, and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity, that's warfare, with God. Whosoever, therefore, as a Christian, will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. You've got to choose which side you're on. Now, you may be sitting there all nice and comfortable and acting really sweet and, and, and everything's fine, but usually there's a war going on. And there's a war on whether you're going to say you're sorry to your wife <laughs> or whether you're going to humble yourself and say you're sorry to your husband and whether you're going to humble yourself and say, God, I'm wrong. There's a war going on. And you need to see yourself as somebody that is a friend of this world more than you're a friend of God. We fight the wrong wars, and sadly, more than ever, believers are giving in to and returning to slavery. As I said, no Christian is immune to making wrong, stupid decisions. <laughs> I'm saved 43 years. You know what I do? Still make stupid decisions. And unless a Christian knows what they are capable of doing, both for evil and for good, they'll be open to losing everything that God has blessed them with. Until you realize the power of a stupid choice and the power of a righteous choice, you'll blow it. A 17-year-old gets his or her driver's license and then buys their first car and gets behind the wheel and go drives down the road. 17 years old behind a one-and-a-half-ton vehicle going 110 kilometers an hour. Unless that teenager understands the danger of a wrong choice behind that wheel, they'll kill somebody, won't they? They'll make a wrong decision. A ball will roll out in the road and a kid fall on that ball. And if that 17-year-old doesn't value the vehicle they're in and the power of that vehicle to kill anything, and yet what good can be done with that vehicle? Until that 17-year-old knows that, they have no business being behind that wheel. Amen? Before I got my license at 17, we had to go, I guess it was six months. It was called driver's ed class, driver's education class. And we had probably the first two months, we were told all the different parts of the vehicle, how to shift gears and so on and so forth. And then for the last two or three months, we had to watch videos of real live accidents not of the accident itself, but of what led up to it, and then them pulling pieces of bodies outside out of the car because of teenagers drinking and driving, showing off, turning close and sharp and running into oncoming traffic. And it scared us to death. It made us, when we got behind the wheel, we realized the power of that vehicle and the power of, of taking our hands off and talking to the guys in the back seat. Amen? All of a sudden realizing I have to have all attention on the front. The weight of my decisions. And as a Christian, when I understand the weight of my choices, it helps me make the right choice. Amen? Galatians 2, 4. Go to the left. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. Would you agree with me that you probably know of some Christians who've made some wrong decisions and it has taken them out of church, taken them away from God, 
taking them deeper and deeper into the world. Galatians 2 and verse 4. Galatians 2, 4 says, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in to the church who came in privily to spy our liberty. Here comes somebody and brings in a heresy and convinces Christians, you know, the world's flat and uh, we're all going to die and all this stuff, which we have, but they spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us where? into bondage. They want to bring us back into bondage. Look at chapter 4 and verse 9. Not every friend is a friend, is it? Galatians 4 and verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, Paul asks the questions. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Why would you go back to begging? Why, if God, remember blind Bartimaeus, he begged by the, by the side of the road. As people passed by, he would cry out, Help! Help! Any help! I can't see! I can't work! I have no means of, of, of making money! Anybody have compassion on me! And then Jesus passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he heard the conversation and he asked him, he said, Who is that? And he says, it's Jesus. And he cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. He says, tell him to come here. They came to him and they says, he wants you. They picked him up. He couldn't find his way. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want? He says, obviously, I want to see. <laughs> Didn't say obviously, but he said that I might see. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. He touched his eyes and he could see. Can you imagine the stupidity of that man going back and sitting on the sidelines saying, help, help, have mercy on me. When he can get a job, when he have a family now, when he's got a whole new life to live, amen? Why would you go back to what Jesus just freed you from? Look in chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the, tell me, what's the word? Say it louder. Isn't that wonderful? Wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with that yoke of bondage. There's some comforting truths here. The lusts in me that war against the Spirit of God in me and against my new nature cannot prevent me from yielding to God. That's comforting. Whatever battle's going on is not a battle you need to win. It's already won. I just need to yield my life, my fingers, my body as instruments and tools of righteousness. You know, the money you used to use to, fill sin, uh, to fulfill sinful desires, what could you do with all that money you used to spend on Friday and Saturday night? What could you do with it for God now? Yeah. All the wasted time that you used to spend can now be invested in soul winning, teaching the gospel, discipling, mentoring, raising your family, blessing your wife, honoring your husband, helping your pastor. Think about that. If you could use what used to be used for sin, you use it for righteousness. Now he finishes up here, well he goes on a verse back there in Romans chapter six. I told you yield was a big word. <laughs> Romans chapter six and verse 17. But God be thanked 
I can hear a sigh of relief in Paul's voice. It's like in verse 16, he says, you have a choice, but God be thanked that ye, I like that next word, what is it? Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have now obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I think, I think Paul is just, he's just reminded them, God freedom. Israel couldn't free itself from Pharaoh and from Egypt. God did it, didn't he? And you couldn't free yourself from your addictions. You couldn't free yourself from your sinful lifestyle. You couldn't free yourself from your friends. I, I had my pastor, I asked my pastor, and I said, what do I do with my friends? He says, don't worry. They're going to worry about what to do with you. Just give them the gospel, invite them out to church, hand them a gospel track, tell them they need to get saved, and I lost every one of them. Amen. I didn't have to tell them to leave. I didn't even have to leave them. They all left me. Now, later on, my best friend, I got to go after him as a sinner, and I got to lead him to Christ two years later. You never really lose anybody that's special. Not when you serve the Lord. God freed us. And it, he did it simply because we believed the God. We obeyed the gospel. We didn't just believe in our head. We reckoned it to be true. We obeyed the doctrine of the gospel, the absolute truth that what God said. You know, if God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, if that's an absolute truth, I can believe it. Amen? Yes. And when you believe it, it's done. You say, well, I don't feel saved. I, I don't know what happened. I just know this. As far as God is concerned, you is saved. Amen? Uh, sometimes people get married and they're all heebie-jeebies and tears scared of, of being married and, and they're waiting for euphoria and I'm going, it'll come, it'll come. Just chill. Don't worry about it. And you know, you say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm following the Lord Jesus. Okay, be ready because liftoff's coming, amen. <laughs> and you'll enjoy the rest of the ride. So don't worry about having all the fun, exciting feelings just do the right thing. Just yield and say, Lord, I know you're God. I know you're right. And I'm just going to follow you. And what we are and what we, what we were and what we are, verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I, I, got, I got to rush on. I wish time would stop on Sundays, don't you? Amen. Just kill that clock. Every believer was the servant of sin. It does not say you is. It says you were. And secondly, you now serve righteousness. That's, that's what you do as a Christian if you're saved. But as you, as, as you used to serve sin, the challenge is now to serve righteousness to the same degree. Look at verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, the weakness of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, your fingers, your toes, your eyes, you've yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, into iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. Now that's kind of crazy. As you used to yield to temptation of the devil, you need to yield to righteousness. That is the center goal of the Christian life. Living for God with the same energies, let me say it. However, you used to uh, put your time into Friday nights 
ought with the same energy. If you came in on Sunday morning with the same joy and the same energy and the same money and the same, same commitment that you used to put into the pub, we'd have revival every Sunday. Amen? Amen. As you used to yield to sin, yield to righteousness now. You see that thing? <laughs> um, yielding is a chosen attitude. It's not natural. <laughs> I don't like to go, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You like that? Anybody like saying I'm sorry? I was wrong? You like letting someone else tell you what to do? No, that's not natural. Yielding is an attitude that you, that you choose to have. I will yield. Jesus, at the most critical time of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the devil is already pouring all the darkness on him, all the oppression on him, all of the, the stress that he could put on him uh, to try to kill him in the garden, Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. I will yield to you, not to him. Amen. I will keep going. If this is your will, so be it. That's what I want to have. It's an attitude. And he talks about yielding every one of your members. Do you know God gave you fingers to glorify him with? I know some people who can play the guitar, but you can only play, you know, rock music. You can only play stuff on, on the radio. Why don't you use your fingers for God and learn, learn some hymns? Learn some songs like these guys did, amen? Use your fingers for the glory of God. God gave you a voice to honor him with. I told you about um, uh, Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley grew up in a Baptist church. Heard some of the best gospel you could ever hear. Heard some great preaching, preachers. I don't know if he ever got saved, but he sure didn't live like it. And at 12 years old, he would sit in Sunday school and get all the kids would gather around. He'd play the guitar, and everybody was just impressed, and he'd sing in spiritual songs. By the time he got around 14, 15, somebody discovered him and says, you've got a voice, dude, and took him, and his parents were all for it, took him and spruced him up, decked him out, and put him on the stage, and he never looked back. And what was going to glorify God and be used to glorify God was used to glorify everything wrong. He wasn't called Elvis the pelvis for nothing. Yield your, your, every one of your members to the glory of God. God gave you a mind to figure out and to do great things. Don't let the world numb it. You know, your mind was given so you discover great things. Christians used to be, and we're, our, our uh, uh, Bible club is about how awesome God is. I don't want the kids to just sit there and la, 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 la float around like butterflies. <clears throat> I want them to use their heads and to critically look at life and to go, it's designed, man. <laughs> and I know the designer. I want them to discover the, the deep things, the, the, the incredibly um, uh, 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 amazing things of creation. I want kids to grow up in awe of a creator. Use your mind for good. Wouldn't that be a change? <laughs> God gave you feet to go into the world with, but you'll never do any good with your body until you yield it. And you decide to yield to holiness. You know, when I say the word, holy, word holiness, you probably think of becoming a monk <laughs> or a nun. But holiness just means that you live clean. You live godly. You're doing the right things. If anybody ever says, oh, here comes that holy man, 
Say amen. I wish it were true. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I guess they think I don't sin. I, that's better than people looking at you like a Christian going, boy, does he sin. I'd like them to think that I'm doing pretty good. Yield to a life of holiness where you seek to live free of spots and wrinkles, man. Uh, I, I, every time I wear a white shirt, you know what happens? I eat spaghetti. <laughs> and you know, anytime you try and, and live clean, the devil's going to fling sin at you. You know, if I get a spot on my shirt, you know what I do? Oh, send some more, right? No, I try to clean it off. I want to be clean. And every time the devil tries to throw something at you and tries to pull you down and tries to cover up your, your righteous life and your godly life, you want to clean it up as fast as you can. Amen. That's the Christian life. That's a life of holiness. You used not to care about living godly. Look in verse 20. Romans 6, 20 says, For when ye were the servants of sin, <laughs> you were free from righteousness. You didn't care about doing the right things. Um, but that's why you should care now. That is why you should care now. Now, the fruit of our old lives, look at verse 21. Let me finish this up. What fruit had ye when then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Uh, folks, what satisfaction or advantage did your sinful life give you? You remember when you were in college and your friend said, let's go drink, and you don't even remember what happened after that? Is that are, what advantage did that give you? Sleeping around with 15 different partners before you find the right one. What advantage did you get out of any of that? Smoking for 10 years before you decided, well, you know, I don't need to smoke. What advantage did 10 years of smoking give you? You know, most everyone who has a head on their shoulders regrets sin. Amen. How many of you ever sat down and watched a film and it turns dark and filthy and you keep watching it and then it finishes and you go, Lord, Lord, I am ashamed of what I just watched. Amen. What satisfaction or advantage did any of your sinful life ever give you? Nothing. What fruit had ye then those things were of you now ashamed? And you should be ashamed. Somebody asks you, hey, didn't you go, used to go drinking? Yeah, but that's not me now. I'm ashamed of that life. Amen. But that's not me now. Because there's fruit. Um, and here's the fruit. The end of those things is death. The end of every bit of sin, verse 22, and we'll, we'll uh, verse, the, uh, verse 22, let me finish this. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit under, right, under holiness in the end of everlasting life. You know what heaven's going to be? It, it does, it's not static. If I could just give you a taste for a second, I got to quit. Heaven never stops. However good heaven is, one day it just gets better the next. Will you just start to believe that? It God will constantly and forever show you something better and then even awesomer and even cooler. It never, that's the fruit I want to be a part of. Instead of the fruit of this life that ends in death. Now the gospel summarized in verse 23 says the wages. This is the gospel in one verse. The wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So number one, sin earns death. You say, well, only sin a little. Okay, well, you're driving on the road and you're going 120 kilometers an hour and your car's drifting only a little. It may take you 10 minutes, but you're going in the ditch, amen? The other person, he's driving 120 kilometers an hour and a bee flies in and he starts to swat at it and he, he turns sharply. He's going in the ditch. You both went in the ditch, one slowly and one quickly. Small sins, big sins, they all lead to death. They'll all co cost you. We will have to pay the price. That is, unless you receive the gift of eternal life. Isn't it awesome? Contrasting wages with a gift. Wages you earn, a gift you just receive. And it is a gift, and it lasts forever, and it begins now. Don't wait till heaven. You can have eternal life now. It was, it was paid for at Christ's expense. Stand with me and let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we bow our heads. What are we going to do when we go out of here? I have prayed, and I pray that everyone sort of sees life a little bit differently and sees it as a choice to yield to the right way to do things, the, the right way to talk, the right way to use our hands, the right way to use our, our lives. And when we find ourselves choosing the wrong way, we realize, wow, it's so easy to give in and do the wrong thing. And I'm going to have to put up a fight and choose to yield to God. And whatever the battle is, it's so, so much easier than the, than the defeat I used to live like when I was under the dominion of sin. Lord Jesus, if, if people in this room are saved, if any of them saved, they're under the dominion of grace. They're under the dominion of Jesus Christ. They're in your family. And you made it possible for us to yield to you. And I pray that we will. But if somebody's in here and they've never been born again, they are still under the dominion of sin. And if they want to be free, they can't get out themselves. They are locked tight under the grip of sin. And it will end in death and hell forever and ever except for Jesus being believed and trusted by them today to save them would somebody have the courage to cry out to you now from their heart of hearts and ask you to save them so they can be free and yeah they can look around at Christians and see a lot of them struggling and messing up but it doesn't matter look to Christ who made us free so bless as we just take these things and we realize, you know what? I am free and I'm going to live it now. Live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal.